Good afternoon, church. Uh, with Nathan uh, getting ill, and uh, and I'd been uh, up to preach on uh, uh, December the twenty-sixth, so uh, it just seemed logical for me to step forward and say, "Hey, I'll take it this week for him since he's recovering." And just a little update on Nathan. He seems to be doing better because he's getting busy about things I'm hearing in the background. So I think he's probably ready to bust loose and get out, get some things done. But he was, he and the family wanted to be safe for us by not coming and possibly spreading the the virus. So, uh, and as is the habit of our church or the. Uh, really the desire of our church is to be really uh, specific in our following of the word of God when we teach and preach. Uh, And Nathan has a path he goes down, and I've had a path that I've gone down by picking a book from the New Testament and uh, uh, slowly, as you know, go through that to... uh, uh, to get all we can out of it. And the last time, uh, last book I did was Philemon. We finished that up. So this week, uh, we're going to start uh, with the book of Titus. And uh, uh, it just seemed right to me to do Titus because as a church, uh, in our Bible studies, we had studied First Timothy and then Second uh, Timothy. And then I... Uh, I worked on Philemon for the church and, and teaching that uh, to the whole church. And so uh, right there we have three of the four uh, personal epistles that are letters that Paul sent to specific people. And Titus is the last one, so it seemed like the thing we needed to do. <laughs> so I started looking at it, and the more I've looked at it, the more excited I get about it because it's it's really uh a good study in my mind. So hopefully it will come across to you that way too. Uh, but as a, uh, this uh, sermon is just an introduction to the book of Titus. So uh, there's going to be a lot of facts uh, and uh, information here. Uh, not so much doctrine, but uh, once we get into the book, there's a lot of good doctrine teaching there. So uh, don't get bored. Get excited about learning some new stuff about things you might not have known about the Bible. Uh, so my title to the sermon is The Who, Where, uh, The Who, Where, and I actually I put in, uh, I think in the one I sent to uh, uh, Nathan was The Who, Where, and uh, What of Titus because it, it's just a introduction telling where he came from, what he did, and all this kind of stuff, or what we can find out about him. But to back up on all that, to put it in perspective, remember uh, back when we were studying in Second Timothy, uh, there was a key verse in Second uh, Timothy two two that really uh, was the heart of Paul's ministry and the heart of the people that Paul ministered to. Uh, what his heart was for them, and Second Timothy two two says. And these things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who are able to teach others also. And uh, 
that was Paul speaking to Timothy there, but it was not only for Timothy. It was for everybody that he uh, came in contact with. He was uh, trying to have an impact on them. and uh, this was really Paul's uh, reminder of the Great Commission uh, from uh, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. It's just his rewording of it, where Jesus said, "Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age." Uh, and so uh, that was Paul's putting that. Uh, command that the Lord had given him into action by uh, uh, teaching people to uh, the gospel and then them learning it so well, that's the disciple making, so that they would uh, go and be able to teach other people and reach the nations. Well, that uh, verse in 2 Timothy 2, 2 is... Uh, uh, is really the foundation of, of his ministry and discipleship to, to, the, to the world. And uh, John MacArthur made a, uh, I remember, uh, a great illustration from something that happened in his life uh, about this, this, uh, this verse is really like you're doing a relay race. And uh, where he says, and the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men. It's like as you're passing off the baton in a relay race, you're entrusting this to faithful men. And he says uh, a great example in his life that illustrates a failure in this was when he was in uh, uh, college, uh, he ran in a, on a track team for the college. And uh, he said he wasn't really a track star or anything, but he was a baseball player, and so they kind of drafted him into the to the roundup so that because he was fairly fast and on his feet, and they put him in some different events just to and coaches do that they'll uh, in your off season they'll put you doing other things you don't really want to do just to keep you in shape and keep you motivated. So. He got pulled into this track meet, and he was running a four-man uh, relay, uh, one-mile relay. And so uh, the way they set those things up was they'll have the first guy is uh, is just really solid. He, he's, he's the guy that takes the lead, and then he passes off to the next guy who hopefully will keep the lead or at least hold his weight. And then the next guy after that... Uh, uh, is good, and the last guy's going to be a burner. He can knock it out and hopefully win the... That's the strategy for winning the race. And they had made it all the way to the finals in this uh, event, and they were feeling pretty good about it. So the first guy takes off, and he he takes the lead. And then uh, he hands off, and MacArthur is the second guy in the race, and he gets the baton, and he takes off running, and he holds his own, and literally he's... It's a dead heat with, with him and the the next guy behind that's in the race as far as, far as who's, who's competing. And so he hands off to the next guy, and this guy takes off, and he's he's got a, a lot going for him. He takes off, and he gets around the first corner, and he just walks off the track. 
And everybody's going, oh, no, what has happened? What is going on here? And uh, they're running to him and says, did you pull a hamstring? Have you, have you, you know, what's wrong? What's wrong? And the guy says, you know, I just didn't feel like running today. And he says, MacArthur says, I, my natural state was about to say something I shouldn't say. <laughs> uh, but that's a good picture of what this verse is talking about not doing. If you've been handed the baton of good gospel teaching, it is, if you just don't hand it off to the next person, you're like the guy that just walks off the track. And, uh, man, when I, when I heard that years ago, that just, like, that impacted me in a major way. I said, you know, I've got to uh, take this seriously. What I'm learning, I need to pass it on to other people because I want to be a good steward of what God has given me. Well, that's what Paul was doing during his lifetime, was handing off what God had given him to other people. And uh, he was faithful to this command of our Lord Jesus. Uh, and in doing that, and being faithful to it, he made a lot of disciples uh, uh, while he's here on earth. Timothy was is the most uh, prominent one that we, we think of, of course. And then looking through Paul's letters, you can find lots of other people that he influenced uh, and uh, that worked alongside of him uh, to the, for the furtherance of the gospel. And most of these, uh, you, see, you see these names at the end of, uh, of his letters. Uh, and if you want to see an, a, one of the longest lists, uh, if you go to Romans chapter 16, we won't go there tonight, uh, is, uh, there's a list of right at... 20, 24 names, I can't remember exactly how many, of people that, that he had influenced, had come alongside him, and were working in the ministry that he mentions in the, at the end of that letter. It's a pretty amazing list when you think about having a, a, a small army of people that you have influenced and are on board for Christ. It's kind of like a, having a the team photo there and he's just going through that this is this this person this person this person this is what they're doing so uh, i encourage you read that on your own time and uh, it'll it'll it will be an encouragement to you uh uh in paul's lifetime as a christian he discipled probably unknown numbers of uh, of people that work with him uh and carried, carried on the work after him. And that's important because, you know, when you hand off, it keeps going. You know, when the baton was handed off to Timothy, he handed it off to somebody else and somebody else, somebody else. They handed it off to us. It will be our job to hand it off to somebody else. So, but if you look through the whole New Testament, you come up with almost 60 names that, uh, of people that Paul influenced. Wow. But that's in a lifetime. Moses didn't get started until he was 80, and he influenced a lot of people. It's never too late, right? Uh, uh, and so, uh, of course, Timothy is the first one that comes to mind when we, when we think about people that he influenced. Uh, and since we've studied that, uh, both First and Second Timothy, we got quite familiar with him and his relationship with Paul. And we learned that Timothy's about uh, some of Timothy's weaknesses and strengths, and uh, and 
how he was, some of his personal uh, uh, things that he had going on with Paul, uh, and then ministry things, opportunities he had, he had with Paul, just through all all that. Uh, and we know that Timothy was the one he was literally saying in Timothy in Second Timothy two two that he was going to he was passing off the uh, baton as it were to Timothy uh, to continue the work. And uh, it was at this point that uh, Paul was in that letter was he was about to go home to, to Jesus, so he knew somebody had to take the baton and run, run with it. Uh, and Timothy being the uh, uh, premier guy or the, the one that we think of first, uh, as best known to Paul's disciples. But there's other men, uh, another man that uh, is lesser known, but just as influential. And that's the key right there. This guy is just as influential as uh, Timothy was to, to spread the gospel to the world. Uh, and this man is the guy, the guy that this book is written to, Titus. Uh, that's a big statement to say, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, but uh, let's let's dig in and look and see. There's not much really revealed in Scripture about Titus' background. Uh, he was uh, so. In order for us to understand uh, a lot about Titus, you go, we'll have to dig into Scripture a little bit. And uh, if you got your Bible, get ready to do some page turning because I think we'll probably need to do that tonight. Just to, just to. Uh, get a taste for who uh, Titus is and and what he was about. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll not only go through the Bible, but we'll get historical uh, accounts so we can paint a picture of Titus, which will help us to understand the book as we go through it uh, in upcoming sessions. Titus is mentioned fourteen times uh, in the New Testament in. In thirteen of the, in thirteen verses, uh, in Luke's account of Paul's ministry in the book of Acts, and that's where you find you can kind of pinpoint where people are and where they're found and where they come from and things like that. Titus doesn't show up; he's not in the book of Acts at all. So that kind of leaves us at a uh, uh, a loss for knowing specifically things about him. So you kind of have to dig to find him. Uh, Uh, we only hear about him in uh, in Paul's letters, actually, and that's where the 14 times come in. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, there's 10 times, Galatians 2, 2 Timothy 1, and Titus, there's one time. Uh, and when we start doing all this, it, it doesn't tell us where he, Titus is from, uh, anything about his background, except for that he was a Greek. That's basically all you get from that. Uh, uh, we get that uh, our, really our first glimpse of Titus, and this is chronologically, if you think of when his name shows up in time, is uh, from Galatians. It's, if you all turn to Galatians, we'll be looking at 11, or 111 through 2 4 uh, in this. And it, this is uh, where he shows up here a couple, uh, couple of times. Uh, 
uh, and that's uh, 111 through 24. And this is where Paul's defending his ministry because uh, to the Galatians, and he does this with this this example that happened, which applied to the church in Jerusalem, but it also applies to the church in in Galatia. So uh, 11.1. We're just going to read through this so we can uh, get it in our minds since I didn't give you this as homework to study before we got started. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel for which I preach by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was it taught was I taught it, but I received it from revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond all my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when he who set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I did not see any other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I'm writing you, I assure you before God that I'm not lying. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Silica, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching faith, and he who once, which, which he who once tried to destroy, and they were glorifying God because of me. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. And it was because of the revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did did so privately to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren that that had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which, which is in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. That's a long, long passage, but uh, I wanted you to hear it so that you would understand what was going on. Uh, This is our first clips of uh, Titus chronologically. You see that in 2-1. He's gone to, uh, after 14 years, he went up to Jerusalem uh, with Barnabas uh, and and, uh, Paul. And uh, what was going on here was uh, the Galatians 
he's, te he's telling the Galatians, Paul is telling the Galatians this because the, uh, they had abandoned the true gospel for another gospel. And it was basically the same thing that was going on in Jerusalem during this uh, council meeting that he went to at 14-year point. And so, uh, uh, remember, Paul was in, uh, got saved on the road to Damascus. He goes to the desert and was taught by Jesus for three years. Uh, and then he comes to Jerusalem just to to let them know he's uh, who he is, talks to Peter, and he sees James. And that's just a 15-day stint. And then he goes back to Syria, Silica, which is actually, he in the Antioch region, and that's where he really based himself from there. Uh, and he did two missionary journeys. He doesn't say that in this passage, but he did two missionary journeys from there. And then that took 14 years right there. So he's a Christian for 17 years at this point. But during that 14-year period, that is when we can pinpoint, as best we can pinpoint, that... He probably, in preaching, teaching, evangelizing, came across Titus. Titus got saved, and Titus started hanging with him and started being discipled by him. And he had developed so well that, uh, uh, that when it was time to go to uh, Jerusalem to this council, the revelation Paul got was that, hey, something's not going right in, in Jerusalem because I'm hearing about uh, people starting to tell uh, the church that they need to have the men circumcised and follow all these feast days and things like that. And it's coming back to the other churches that, hey, do we have to do all that stuff? Because we're Greeks and that's nothing we've, we've ever done before. And it doesn't sound like the gospel that you've been teaching, Paul. So Paul goes, hey, I'm going to go clarify with them that I'm teaching the true gospel. And then in the process, you know, it's probably good to bring an example of somebody that is a Greek, that's truly saved, and just let them examine to see if that salvation is for real. Well, guess who they picked? He picked Titus. Titus had been going with him over the years, and apparently he was a prime example for Paul to show to the Jerusalem council that the gospel saves the Greeks just the way it does the Jews. And, oh, by the way, uh, Peter had already had a dream about that and, and said, uh, told the, the church before all this happened that that was for the, the way the gospel works. So, uh, he went back to straighten it out and he used... Uh, Titus is an example of uh, the power of the gospel is not just for the uh, Jews and Jesus is enough. And so he well, came to the decision, yes, it's by uh, the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ for the, and faith in him for the forgiveness of sins. And then they said, you know, if you have to have anything added to it, just don't eat meat. Are things offered to idols and uh, and avoid fornication? I think that's a pretty good idea. I don't like my idol meat either or fornication. So, uh, so uh, there's our introduction to Titus. Uh,
here was this uncircumcised Greek uh, who had become a Christian. And uh, uh, apparently it, it was so... Um, uh, he was so full of the Spirit and and showed, shown himself to be truly converted that uh, they were convinced of it. And, uh, and so Paul... Uh, uh, went from there and went back to his his uh, missionary endeavors. Uh, so if, if you think you start deduction from that, here's Timoth, uh, Titus that uh, Paul had uh, worked with. Uh, somewhere in that 14-year period, he had spent a lot of time with Paul, and Paul knew the man well, and knew that he was the real deal and he said I'm going to take you to show what the real deal is what's going on out here and uh, as far as when all this happened we can't pinpoint it like I said uh, it was likely and most of the history, historical people I read on this which I, I did a lot of reading this time to try to figure out some of this history because it's hard to pick it out but uh, it was probably during the first missionary journey that uh, they met up. And uh, uh, he had, uh, uh, so he had up to 15 years of discipleship under the uh, tutelage of Paul. Uh, and so uh, Paul decided this is my going to be my prime example of an unconverted or a, of a converted uncircumcised Gentile and uh, when I thought about that being a moniker for uh, Titus I also thought if he's a prime example for a converted Gentile how much am I like Titus I need to think about do I want to be like Titus uh, would somebody pick me out to be a prime example of a converted Gentile? Hey, we're all Gentiles, so it fits us all, doesn't it? Uh, but let's look deeper uh, at this example that's given to us. Uh, well, how did he get started? Well, in Titus, uh, we, we can move back to Titus if you want to. In Titus uh, 1, 4, and I had to read, I had, uh, had the scripture read 1, 1 through 4 because that's the inter introduction and salutation of the, of the letter. But we're just going to look at verse 4 uh, tonight and then later we'll get dig into the rest of them. But for an introduction, it's great because it says it's to Titus. So the letter is from Paul to Titus and it says... Uh, and it gives a description of my true child in a common faith. And that right there, that statement lets us know that Paul led Timoth or Titus to, uh, uh, to the Lord. And uh, that made them common in common faith of brothers in Christ. Uh, and then after that, he took him on trips with him and uh, started applying the principle of Second Timothy two two, the things that you hear from me in the presence of many witnesses, 
teach faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And apparently uh, Titus was a stellar student uh, and Paul knew that he was a, a perfect example to show him at the church in uh, at the Jerusalem Council. Because you know what? If he was able to teach the Word of God on a level that Paul was teaching the Word of God, and that's what all disciple-making is, is to teach somebody so well that they can teach what you've taught and or teach what you've been taught to teach others also. You know, how the thing goes. I sound like uh, somebody else I know. You know how the thing goes. <laughs> uh, so, anyway... If he was that, if he was able to do that, then that—that's probably what impressed them about about him. Uh, and uh, he was—he, but he was also good, so good at that that Paul knew that he was—he was able to teach as well as Paul did, and handle situations as well as Paul did, using biblical. Uh, 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 doctrine to to guide him that he uh, he was got Paul's go to guy in tough situations. Uh, he and the reason I know that is uh, let me ask you what is the prototypical broken, messed up, sin filled church in the New Testament? Corinthians, right? Church in Corinth. You think of Corinth, that's what? Your uh, uh, carnal, quote, Christian church. Uh, and lots of problems there. Uh, well, and if Paul ever had a church that he he dealt with that had problems, that Corinth was the one. And uh, when Paul couldn't go there for whatever reason after uh, after he stayed there a year and a half teaching, uh, and was hearing things were going going bad. Uh, he had to send somebody that could handle the situation, and the person he sent was Titus. Uh, and we know that because uh, uh, we see that in Second uh, Corinthians, uh, and that's where his name shows up again several times. Uh, you don't have to turn to that. I'll, uh, but let me share with you some things from Second Corinthians that talk about Titus. Second uh, Corinthians uh, two thirteen. Uh, let me back up to twelve. Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit. Uh, oh, oh, I better get in Second Corinthians. It won't even fit. If I don't, uh, yeah, there we go, 213. Uh, he'd just gone through uh, some of his trips and things, things that were, uh, some of the things he was going through that uh, weren't going well. And he says, now I came to Troas for the gospel, but starting 12. Now I came from Troas for the gospel of Christ, and a door was opened for me in the Lord. Uh, you know, for somebody that's a, a uh, evangelist and a gospel preacher, when you got an open door, man, you can't hardly 
not go. <laughs> but he says in 13, he says, uh, I had no rest in my spirit not finding Titus my brother. So he was going to meet Titus and Troas. And the reason he was going to meet Titus and Troas because he had sent Titus to Corinth and he wanted to find out how the church was doing in Corinth. And, uh, you know, there's a principle in that. It's great to lead people to the Lord, but it may be even greater to see the Lord's people being ministered to. He said, I had no rest in my spirit not finding Titus my brother, but thinking, taking leave of them. So he just left. I went to Macedonia. He was trying to meet up with Titus and all this because he just, his heart was breaking for the church that was broken. And so uh, that's where we see that Paul knew that Titus was the guy to send, and now he's trying to get a report. Uh, and then uh, if we go on to 7 6, we find the next mention of uh, Titus. It says, uh, He's, you know, his heart's broken, but he, he goes through all these other things. And he says, but God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only his coming, but also the comfort which also comforts you. He reported to us your longing and your mourning and your zeal for me. And I rejoiced even more. So he came and gave him a good report. And so, uh, uh, you know. Here we go, Paul's saying, this is great because mission was accomplished. So Titus apparently got there and by the teaching of good doctrine and counsel, reproving and rebuking and teaching through the word of God, things changed for the best. And so, uh, and then if we look in 8.6, it says, uh, Consequently, I urge Titus that as he had previously made at a beginning that he would complete with you the gracious work as well. He knew that Titus could not only get something started, but he, could, he was a finisher. He could make sure that it went to the, to the end. You know, Paul said uh, in, I think it's Ephesians, he says his heart is that, and I'm paraphrasing it, that you'll uh, be fully mature in the in in the gospel, uh, and that's a, a hard paraphrase on my part. But he's, what he's saying is, it's his desire that you learn the doctrine so well that you're so mature in it that you're going to be somebody like Titus, like this picture that you had in in Romans of of this this uh, team that he had. He says, I want all of you to grow up to maturity in the faith. And so, uh, he knew that uh, Titus was completely capable of handling the situation uh, and it would be just as if Paul were, were there. I, you know, I've taught some people over the years and I don't know that there's anybody that I would 
totally think, you know, that person, I don't have to be there. They can, they can be there because I'm always thinking, I guess one other little thing that I could have added to there. So I don't know that I've ever really taught someone that well. Paul did, and he was competent in, in Titus. So there's a goal that we can strive for. And uh, then in, let's see, 823, uh, for Titus, as he is my partner and fellow worker. I mean, that says it all right there. Uh, Titus was one of the soldiers in the army that uh, Paul built by God's grace as he trained them. Uh, and to be like himself, and at, at any moment's notice, he could call them to take his place in whatever the situation was. Uh, and that brings us to the next difficult ministry. He had handled the, the problem in, uh, in Corinth, but what was the next difficult ministry that Paul needed to tap uh, Titus for in a difficult situation? It, uh, it was a ministry in, in Crete, which that brings us to the book of Titus. Uh, a little background, uh, Paul stopped in, in Crete on his way to Rome before he went, uh, when he went before uh, Caesar uh, in his first imprisonment. And uh, they couldn't stay in Crete because uh, it was winter was coming on and uh, they had to keep moving. But he did get to, to see a few people there when they stopped. And he saw people in the church there. Well, where did the church come from that was there? Uh, uh, the church was more, more than likely started there by people that were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost because it, sells, it tells us uh, when the Holy Spirit came upon the, uh, the disciples and the apostles that there were people from all over visiting Jerusalem at the time and Crete is mentioned in that list of people. So uh, some of those people got saved on the day of Pentecost and following days as, uh, as God added numbers to the church and there were people still visiting in Jerusalem. But, you know, eventually they had to go back home. And so when they went back home, there was a fledgling church started throughout the islands. Fledgling churches because they lived in different places in the island. So uh, Paul uh, got to meet some of these people, and uh, he saw that they had some major needs, I'm sure, when he got there because, you know, they'd left Jerusalem and didn't probably didn't fully discipled while, while they were there before they had to go home. And so he, he saw that there were needs there. Uh, and uh, also probably while he was there on the island, and I can uh, kind of uh, empathize or uh, get on board with this, he probably led some people to the Lord just while he was there for the day or two that they, were, they rested before they took off uh, for Rome again. And, uh, you know, you can't do a whole lot in just a couple of days as far as discipleship goes. You can uh, make a little impact and give them a little bit, but not, not the, full, the full feast of it. And so uh, I'm sure Paul was thinking, you know, there's some people we're leaving behind that need, need help too. So there was, there was the groups that needed some help. 
and uh, so uh, he knew there was it was it was a problem because it was like like starting a new church. There was that problem, and, uh, and since his heart was for the church to be fully equipped and established for the glory of God and uh, and for the world. Uh, he needed somebody that was strong to go there and do it. And the reason they need to be strong was there's two problems with Crete that needed to be addressed just from the start. Uh, and uh, to understand this, this point, uh, we need to know a little bit about Crete. Crete is a island that's 160 miles long. It's uh, seven miles uh, wide at its skinniest point and 35 miles wide at, at its widest point. It's got two mountain ranges that run through it. The climate is semi-arid, so it's really... Uh, 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 it's there in the Mediterranean. It's southeast of Greece and southwest of uh, Asia Minor. So it's out there, uh, it's like the eighth largest island in the Mediterranean. Uh, and uh, so, you know, the, uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful place. Uh, it's uh, got uh, a, uh, a climate that grows some of the best olives and fruits and vegetables in all that area and so uh, it's, it's very uh, very well fit for human uh, human inhabitation because you know it, it just it's not as hard to, to make a make things happen there make a living there as and survive there as it is in, in some other places so because of that, and uh, that island has been uh, inhabited for as long as we can figure out, basically. It is uh, actually the, the home of the oldest uh, European civilization, and that's the Minoans. Yeah, y'all studied that in CC, right? <laughs> the Minoans were there. And they were a, a strong uh, civilization, European civilization, until uh, one of the negative things about the island is it has a lot of earthquakes and it's influenced by volcani volcanoes that are in the area. And uh, the volcano in Santori uh, uh, had an eruption and it it, uh, it caused a 50-foot tsunami to hit Crete. And when it did that, it literally destroyed the, uh, the economy of the island because it flooded the plantations on the coastal plain all around the island. Uh, and in doing that, it also uh, killed the crops, of course. The, the ships that were there, there's ports all around the island, so those ships and commerce were a big thing for them. Armies were would station there. And so the Minoans who had all that stuff going on, it just wrecked their whole economy when that when that happened. 
killed their infrastructure, and that's when the Mycenaeans came in and took over. So that goes with y'all's song, right? Uh, and so uh, it's true. <laughs> and so, uh, and then the Romans came in, and and the Greeks, and they would use the island as strategic shipping uh, ports, and also uh, for their uh, military post. Uh, and so that's part of what's going on there. The other thing, the island has, has more than 50 beaches around it. And historically, and even today, this is a place where people love to just go and hang out. Even the years before, the people were going to the beaches. And, just uh, you know, they had a lot of food because the island was, was uh, fruitful. And then... Uh, so they would uh, didn't have to work as hard, so they spent more time on the beach and uh, playing and enjoying those kind of things. Uh, uh, and even today, it's it's a vacation spot for a lot of people in Europe to to go there and just relax. Uh, but when you think about what I've just told you uh, about the island. That may be where the reputation comes from Titus 2, uh, or 112, uh, which we're back to our... Uh, book we're studying. Titus 112 uh, gives a description of the people in Crete. It says, One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and gluttons. Uh... And so when you think about uh, them having it easy as far as uh, uh, having to work because it's so productive there for them. Uh, and uh, another factor is they probably had a mental idea that they were kind of better than other people. And uh, the reason I say that is uh, uh, Greek mythology said that uh, uh, the god uh, Titus was born in, on Crete. So they thought they maybe had a lineage there that made him a little bit better than everybody else. So, hey, I don't have to work because I'm this kind of guy. <laughs> Attitude. That, plus they had a lot to, to, uh, to a lot easier lifestyle than some other places. Uh, that might be where they got the idea that they can just lay around and get the reputation of being lazy gluttons. Because you've know, you got a lot to eat, don't have to do anything. So you're lazy, you're laying around and eating. Uh, uh, and so, uh, and even today, they have a, such a laid-back lifestyle on that. Uh, I think it equates to a longer lifespan and uh, I can say that because literally the life the lifespan of males uh, the average male on Crete is 86 years old that's crazy because <laughs> in the United States it's 77 right now so you know something something has can be said about uh, a, a good environment to make you live longer but it also gives you another opportunity to, to uh, back up that verse where they were uh, liars and evil beasts. When you lay around, guess what you do? And you're lazy? The 
the an idle mind is the devil's workshop, right? And so they had time to think think up things that they could uh, do that were nefarious, like maybe they were good at lying, uh, which is one thing, or uh, did something evil. Uh, and they one thing that came up when I studied it that about their their evil deeds was they would uh, since they were had so many ships and ports around there they would take over ships and and start piracy uh, groups from the people on the island so uh, that may be where all that reputation came from uh, so here the, there's there was one problem you have the people with this background that lends to anti-Christian uh, lifestyles, uh, evil, sinful lifestyles. And then another problem was uh, that the church had to deal with uh, was uh, that there were Judaizers there. And that, you find that in, in 1 verse 10. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. So uh, for whatever reason, uh, there, were other, there were Jews that didn't get saved. Uh, and some of them may have gone to Jerusalem uh, at Pentecost and heard the gospel and seen that going on. But they didn't accept Christ, and uh, uh, they rejected the gospel, and they rejected it with a passion, so much so that they were uh, trying to wreck the faith of the new converts there. And there may have been Jews that didn't go to Jerusalem, but still, because it was going against Judaism, they wanted to, uh, to uh, wreck it. And so, uh, but these people, because of their background, were not, not only teaching ungodly doctrines, but they were more than likely living ungodly lives. Uh, and because these were the formative years of the church, Paul knew he needed a like-minded, well-trained, and trustworthy man to send to, in his place to take care of the, to this problem. Uh, a man that he could uh, that could teach him and reprove and rebuke uh, using sound doctrine uh, from the Word. And Titus was this guy. He was he was the man that he sent. Uh, uh, and you know, Titus had been with Paul, learning for many years. He proved himself before the Jerusalem Council. He took his place in Corinth and helped them through uh, uh, out of their carnal uh, life to a spiritual life and walk with Christ. He knew that, uh, that he was capable of the job. And so that's uh, the background for why he sent Titus there and, and the background on Crete. Uh, now, just a quick outline of the book of Titus, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll almost be done. Uh, as you read the introduction, uh, we, we see that the letter is, is from Paul to Titus, uh, no, no doubt about that. Uh, 
and it's really a reminder to Titus what he needs to address uh, to these churches in Crete. And so for our study as we go through this uh, in the next few times we meet, uh, uh, there's, it's a really uh, easy one. It's three points. Uh, he's there to install leadership, and we'll see that in chapter 1. And he's there to instill character among the saints, and that starts out with uh, how the church is supposed to act, and you'll, you'll find that as you read through it. And then uh, there's uh, Im- implementing evangelism in the world, and that's uh, the Christian's responsibility in, in a pagan society. So uh, you have installing leadership, instilling character among the saints, and implementing evangelism uh, in their world. Uh, but this letter is not only a reminder, and this is a, a, an interesting thing that, that popped up in all this. It's not only a reminder to Titus what he already knew how to do, because we've already talked about how well he was trained to do this to start with, so why did he need this, right? But uh, it was not only a reminder of Titus what he needed to do, but it was also a compact, condensed guide for church planning that could be copied and left with the leaders that they put in place in, the, in those churches with the churches themselves so they know how they're supposed to be acting and doing and just a, uh, a, a really uh, great uh, product for them uh, in their new way of life as they were a fledgling church there in Crete and trying to develop uh, and so as we studied the, this letter of Titus, I, my hope is that we can uh, unpack this economy of words because it's just a really short book. This economy of words, and that by unpacking it, we'll be taught and encouraged and challenged as these doctors, doctrines uh, and practical principles uh, in this letter unfold to us. So I'm getting excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. <clears throat> uh, and so hopefully next few times we, we meet uh, when I'm teaching on this, preaching on it, we'll, we'll get some gems out of it. Uh, and finally, did Titus get the job accomplished? That's the question on you know, my mind when I started looking at it. And uh, I think the answer to that is can kind of be seen in Second Timothy uh 4.10, it says, uh, he's talking about, uh, talking to the, in 4.9, he's talking to Timothy, he says, make every effort to come see me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cicerne has gone to Galatia and Titus to, to Dalmatia. Titus went on to the next job. What it was telling us there. So, if he had the heart of Paul and he was had the heart for the church like we've already seen, he's not going to leave unless it's the job's finished. So uh, he took off and went to Dalmatia. Where is Dalmatia, you ask? That's uh, modern-day Albania. Uh, and 
Apparently, he was comfortable enough to, to move to the next ministry. Modern-day Albania, I had the opportunity in 1993 to go on a mission trip to Albania. It was the year after the, uh, the Iron Curtain had fallen there, and uh, they were free from Soviet uh, communism, and uh, I had the opportunity to go there. And while I was there, I found out that there is a city there. I think it's, I can't remember the name of it. Anyways, it's on the coast of Albania uh, that has a church there that Titus founded. Still known for that there. And I thought, man, that's interesting that Titus had, was there where I was at the, uh, where I was 2,000 years later basically uh, and uh, I, I thought well, this is pr pretty neat while I was there though the climate was kind of harsh it was probably one of the harder places I've, I've ever gone on a trip to when the uh, Iron Curtain fell they allowed the people to go back to whatever religion they, or go to any religion they wanted to. A lot of them didn't know what they wanted to do, but they knew their families had come from either Christian backgrounds or Muslim backgrounds. While the communism was going on, you could not mention anything about God, period. That was part of the strict communism they had. If you did, you would go to jail or be killed. And so even husbands and wives were afraid to talk about God to each other for fear that their spouse would turn on them and tell on them. And so, I mean, they had them brainwashed big time with all this. Well, when, when it broke, then people gravitated to their family ties. And so it was about a 50-50 split when I got there. And uh, it was pretty hard to witness to the Muslims even with them being so freshly new back into it as a matter of fact I, the closest I think I've ever come to being beat up uh, over witnessing was in a coffee shop there on the, at the uh, university in Tehran Tirana, I think it's the name of it uh, the capital city there uh, I met a doctor a campus doctor and for a cup of coffee and shared the gospel with him and he started yelling at me in that coffee shop uh, and got angry with me and the whole place got quiet and I thought I'm going to die here <laughs> but God was gracious I was able to uh, uh, tell him look look I'm not trying to shove anything down your throat I'm just telling you what I know the truth is and uh, I want you to have the facts about it. And he calmed down, and we and I got to leave. And uh, while we were there also, the uh, uh, Muslim holy day of Ramadan landed, or we landed while that was going on. And that was their big holy day. And we found out real quick, if we went out and tried to share the gospel with anybody, we were going to be in trouble in a hurry. So we just had to shut down our operation for two days. And I'm thinking, I got up that morning and thinking, Lord, I have come all the way from Memphis here, halfway around the world basically, and I'm stuck here and 
we were in an old orphanage on the third floor. That's where we were rooming. And all I've got is I can't go out and share the gospel. And that's what I was like. That's what I was there to do. And I couldn't do that. And I said, what am I going to do, Lord? And somebody had already put a seed in my heart that I needed to not be so focused on sharing the gospel with people and not discipling people like uh, like Paul. So I was starting to grow in that area. Uh, and I said, okay, Lord, well, whatever you've given me to, to work with, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I can today. And uh, the only people I had there were my interpreters. They were sitting there with us because they couldn't go out either. <laughs> and so I sat down with them and I just said, what are your needs? And they said, we don't even know how to read the Bible. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's sit down. And I went through a real simple uh, way to read the Bible, slow down, start to, to understand it a little bit better, ask some questions that will help you think about what you're doing as you're reading it. And uh, one of the girls there was named Mary. And so she says, I said, yeah, and it works with just any scripture you get. And she says, okay, let's go to Chronicles. I go, oh, great. <laughs> so she, I said, well, pick out a verse. We'll, we'll, we'll work with it and see what happens. And fortunately, God let, <laughs> let it work because we went through it, asked the questions, and it just like opened up to us really good. And she says, that is amazing. So she kind of caught a vision for that. And I says, well, what are you going to do with this? She says, I'm going to go up to the campus here and, and get in a get some women together, and we're going to start studying the Bible. I said, great. And I said, that's wonderful. Uh, about a year later, I wasn't in contact with her, but another guy that was with us had kept uh, correspondence with her. And she had left uh, Albania because it was financially, it was a, a wrecked country, and it was going to take forever for it to get back on its feet. But she had the opportunity to go to uh, Italy. And she went to Italy and she started a ministry there to women. And I thought, wow. You know, uh, Titus went to that country and he, he was a guy that was just, you know, what did Paul teach him? In front of other witnesses? He says, okay, I'm going to take that. I'm going to teach it to people here uh, in Dalmatia, in Albania. And because of that, there were people there that were receptive to the gospel. When I got there, I shared some stuff. And, you know, uh, one sowed, one watered, God gets the increase. And our desire as elders here at the church is that we and our people attempt somehow equip you well. So that uh, we'll, as we're faithful teaching you what the Word of God says and is about, that you'll take it in and that you'll teach others also. A guy that uh, spent time with me gave me this uh, 
thought illustration, and I'll, I'll end with this. Uh, he says, when you get on board with uh, learning and being a disciple maker, it's going to end one day just like it did with Paul. Uh, wouldn't it be great that when your body's in the casket and it's being carried to the grave, that six, the six men that carry it would also be six men that continue the ministry that God gave you to pass it on to others also. Let's pray. Father, it's only by your grace that we've even come to know you and to be your children. Father, help us to absorb what you teach us. Don't keep it to ourselves, but pass it on to others so that we'll be faithful to your great commission, that people will be blessed, and that you'll be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.